You are now listening to What's up, War Report family? We are back with another edition of the War Report podcast. I'm here with my girl, Allie Davison. Uh, and Allie and I are going to talk a little gymnastics, but uh, Allie, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, gymnastics. We've got a lot to talk about. A lot of, lots been going on in the Auburn Twitter space, in the Auburn athletics world the last couple weeks since we've talked. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. Listen, uh, we'll jump right in. Gymnastics had a fantastic season. And Auburn hasn't really been known for them, their gymnastics program. But help me give our listeners some perspective on how historic this season was for Auburn gymnastics. You know, SUNY came in, she got a lot of the fanfare, but uh, help it break it down for me. What has Auburn gymnastics been in the past and how was this season so great in comparison? Yeah, you know, I think it starts with NIL. And I think that is great news for a sport like gymnastics where a lot of Female athletes tend to have to choose if they want to continue competing at the elite level just because they're sponsorships or if they, you know, wanted to go the college route and really have that experience. But now with NIL, you can combine the two. And I think that's something that was super unique. And I think Auburn capitalized that with Suni Lee. She would not be here, in my opinion, and I think the rest of the world's opinion after she mm. won gold, um, that she would have chosen to go to college if NIL wasn't an opportunity for her to do things like dancing with the stars or to have all these sponsorships that she deserves a hundred percent, but to still have that experience to Auburn. Um, And to your point, yeah, you know, when an all around Olympic gold medalist at such a high level comes in, she's going to take some of the fanfare, but you also had, you know, a whole team really rallied behind SUNY and, you know, she had off nights too. She didn't hit a 10 every single score and, (laughs) I think in gymnastics, it's easy to single someone out because of, you know, they have the individual all-arounds and all those kind of awards. But, you know, Sophia Grath was also a freshman, and I would say it was like a 1A, 1B for that freshman team. Sophia really came in and capitalized on her opportunities. And she will be staying, you know, all four years. She is one of those athletes that I expect to see all four years. Now, when it comes to SUNY, I would be shocked if she decided to stay with the 2024 Paris gymnastics. I think there were some rumors going around that she had already announced, but it hasn't you know, been official yet. But similar to basketball, I would take a year of Jabari Smith than no year of Jabari Smith. I would Facts. take a year of Suni Lee at Auburn over no years of Suni Lee at Auburn. And I think uh, that ruffled some other fans' feathers because uh, no other school has an athlete that's a one and done in gymnastics like True a Suni Lee. So, um, yeah, you know, Coming in fourth out of four would have loved to have seen better, but to be fourth, they were an underdog all season. I don't think Auburn ever had the recognition that they needed. You know, they had every week it felt like they were outscoring their last score. And in gymnastics, it's you would love to beat the team that you're competing against, but I feel like it's more of an individual team. You're trying to beat the score you put up the week before, and Auburn very rarely went backwards. Um, and I think that should have been deserved on a more national level, but, you know, it's a good sign to come. You know, I think when you have, you know, just similar to what Bruce Pearl has done, you know, athletes are going to want to come to a program that's on their eyes. And, you know, having Suni Lee there, she loves Auburn to much people's <laughs> disbelief. She really does. She's a great relationship with the, you know, Garba family and she'll want, you know, athletes that she knows and five-star elite athletes to 
come to Auburn as well and push yeah. and who she competes against. And so I think you're going to see a really strong Auburn team. And I think Auburn athletics needs a female athletic squad to really step up. You know, you have tennis this year that's kind of up in their eyes. Women's basketball had, you know, some moments, but they're going to have, you know, a lot of rebuilding to come underneath. So I think if gymnastics can really capitalize, um, it's going to be really good for Auburn athletics to have that momentum. Well, let's talk about that national meet because Auburn, you kind of stated they were outperforming themselves every week, getting better and better every week. And as I was watching, it just felt as somebody who admittedly has not watched a lot of gymnastics and only followed because it was Auburn. It felt like when you listen to the announcers, you had schools like Utah and Florida and Alabama um, that had been there before. And Auburn is the newcomer on the block. And it, it, it felt very underdogish to me, the way they were talking about it. How much of the final result do you think was just traditional bias toward some of those schools who are normally there? Because we talk about that in other sports. You rarely think about it in in a sport like gymnastics, I think. How much of that bias do you think played into the perception of some of the scores that ultimately are somewhat subjective in, in that national meet? Yeah, I think that's what's so unique about gymnastics. You know, you can call... A pass interference, you can call, you know, in theory, you're supposed to call a double dribble. But, you know, you can pretty much see those and everyone can spot them, right? But in in gymnastics, to your point, it's so subjective. And, yeah, you know, I mean, you could tell the skill level was just different on some of these teams across the board, right? Utah, I mean, they've been the, they've won, I think, the last four outs that have last year, national championships. Those are, that means they've been having five-star athletes come in for the last eight years, to build a team that wins national championships four or five times in a row. Um, you have, you know, schools like Florida that have, you know, been historically very phenomenal and had Olympic gymnasts for years on the team. So I think it's definitely, you know, those schools come in with a little more, you know, been there mentality and, you know, Trinity Thompson, you know, Trinity, Trinity Thompson, the Florida gymnast is, you know, phenomenal. And so when she comes up, it's kind of mesmerizing. And sometimes maybe that gets lost in the score. But I would say it was less biased and more just reality that Auburn may not be there. But the fact that they were able to rally from, you know, less than stellar regionals, hosting at home, you know, kind of squeaking by and needing an unbelievable vault from Drew to, you know, vault themselves literally into this Elite Eight. And then really capitalizing on the Elite Eight and showing out and making the Final Four, I think is what I would want Auburn fans to look at and less about why aren't we up there with the Utah and Floridas. You'll get there if you continue to build as a team from the ground up and you'll get those girls that are the SUNY Lees to come after. So I want to pivot a little bit to recruiting because you touched on it. SUNY Lee comes. And again, in other sports, you capitalize when top athletes pick your school, perform well, and you know, what do you think, kind of define for us what this does, uh, you know, for Coach and his squad now, how easy is it for him to go out and maybe get the next, not Suni Lee, uh, yeah. because I don't know how many Olympic gold medal athletes <laughs> exactly. you're recruiting every year, but the, the next, you know, four-year star that is going to maybe take you a little further in terms of uh, the national title picture. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I think it all circles back down to NIL and giving these, you know, they're called elite gymnasts for a reason. And, you know, they're going to come in and expect certain levels of sponsorship and certain level of exposure. Um, So, you know, Sunili had it from the Olympics, but not every elite gymnast goes to the Olympics that already has that backing. So they're going to want to come to Auburn and say, what can you do for me? Um, like a school that historically is Florida, you know, that already has a very long gymnastics pedigree or in Alabama, you know, they've won, I think it was like six natties, you know, in the early 2000s. So it's going to come down to what can Jeff Garba do for these gymnasts. But I think already laying that foundation to say, look what we, you know, look what Suni was able to capitalize. She was able to do X, Y, Z. Um, and those sponsors are going to look to Auburn students as well. Be like, oh, well, Suni's leaving, moving on. What, let's give it to another Auburn gymnast and just kind of continue that track, I think is what every program at Auburn needs to be doing. And I think we candidly are behind the eight ball on NIL. And I think, you know, there's progress, there's moving forward, there's this NIL Auburn that's starting. And I think they're starting to pay attention to it more, but I would say the faster they get it together, the easier it's going to be to get, you know, especially these Olympic sport athletes that are, maybe one and dones or very elite, high, really recruited prospects to come. And gymnastics is just one of those sports. Out of all, to in my opinion, out of all female sports, I would say gymnastics lends itself to have the most revenue and NIL capabilities because these athletes are so loved and you have so many girls around the world that, you know, little girls that are looking up to these gymnasts that are in gymnastics class starting at three that I think you have a real opportunity to capitalize with this Suni Lee momentum. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah, you make an interesting point about companies. And there's a lot of pivoting a little bit. There's a lot of misunderstanding about how NIL works yeah. and where the money's coming from. Yeah. So to clarify for our listeners, the, the money's not coming from Auburn. Auburn's yep. role is compliance with state law, which... We had to, Alabama had to repeal their their NIL law in February because it was actually more restrictive than the NCAA set of rules that were put in place. Um, But ultimately, creating a winning culture, right, is what makes those NIL deals possible because nobody wants to sponsor a loser. That's the same at the pro, pro level, any level. You want to sponsor a winner. So now that we may be establishing a winning culture at gymnastics. You're right. Uh, if he starts a pipeline of athletes that, that that come in, get sponsorship deals, get national recognition, and get a chance to perform on a national stage. Yep. Uh, you, you know, gymnastics does something very unique. They had, ESPN had this like four quad yeah. view, and you could choose just to follow your team around in their rotation, or you could see a quad box with all four um, teams in their respective disciplines at that time. Yeah. You know, when I was at SEC Network, it's, you know, I started right when the network was launching and they pushed gymnastics heavy where on Friday nights, it was, you know, Friday night lights and it was all gymnastics events every single Friday night on, you know, the Southeastern Conference Network and on ESPN. And I think that's a testament to where networks and ABC and the ESPNs, the world see gymnastics going and they see the popularity of it. And I think that only bleeds to why it's so important to capitalize. I think Auburn did a really good job giving SUNY the spotlight, but still showcasing, you know, like Darren and the Groffs of the team and the Drew Tuckers, like really showcasing the whole team when they had the opportunity. 
I think was super important to see, you know, how many one and done gymnastics, <laughs> gymnastics uh, athletes are there? I don't know. I can't imagine there's that many out. So you're not going to get to your point, you know, ever soon nearly every year, but can you get, you know, a five-star elite gymnast who's choosing to go the college route, give her a million dollars in sponsorships and have a natty or an elite eight expectation every year, I think could do really good things for the Auburn athletics as a whole. What a crazy sentence that was a million dollar sponsorship for yeah. a college athlete, which would have been unheard of. And I think that this, this is going to be something that ultimately, even in other sports, maybe keeps athletes in school longer because there's no longer that need to run to the pro level yeah. to make the money if you can make it. And you know what? Just be a kid for a few more years. Yeah. Rather than yeah, having you know, to go do adult things. Yeah. You know, Sunil Lee talks about it a lot. You know, she, whether she's one and done or not, she craved at least the college, you know, athletic atmosphere. And I was in Auburn yesterday and um, I was talking to a class and, you know, one of the students was like, I, you know, I saw her in Sunili at basketball games all the time. And she was always so excited to be there and be a student and, you know, took it all in, I think, at every opportunity. And that's what NIL allows. You know, she had the money coming in from fun sponsorships and still was able to enjoy a college basketball game on a Wednesday night. So I think it's going to be a super fine balance. I think that's what NIL is kind of lacking is where do you draw a line? Is there a line? Mm-hmm. Is there a cap? Is there a max? Um, what do you do if you know other Olympic athletes aren't getting the sponsorships? Is it a sharing of the wealth? I don't know. It's, I think there's still a lot of questions about NIL, but I think that'll all sort itself out to where it's going to be very beneficial to a lot of these elite programs, athletic programs like the SEC has a majority of to keep these athletes longer um, and not have them you know, run off after a year at school. Well, Bruce Pearl said we're an everything school. He coined it, and we're starting to see that. Uh, The athletic department is definitely headed the right direction, I think, in the Olympic sports. But part of that is baseball. So our baseball team is having a pretty good season. Uh, Help me out here again. As a newcomer to the college baseball ranks, how does this season, how is this season lining up? you know, versus Auburn baseball seasons in the past. How good is Auburn this year? Yeah, you know, I think it's so hard to tell. And I I was, you know, having this conversation yesterday again while I was in Auburn. But the last two years, I mean, from a student level to a sorority level to an athletic level, it these last two years were just a wash. You know, you had kids dropping, you had kids transferring, you had, you know, no games, zero games, canceled games, athletes sick. And it was just so hard to tell. And I think last year was a semi-disappointment year for Auburn coming off, you know, 2018, making, you know, the World Series for the first time in so long and having such an incredible season and then coming right back to, oh, it's a COVID year. And then, oh no, half students, you know, half fans are in the crowd and we had, you know, transfers in this. So I think this Auburn team is what it should have been two years ago. Mm. You have your Friday night pitching pretty much solidified, your Saturday and, you know, your bullpen is, you know, been solid for the most part. Um, and I think they're right in that above average, good SEC baseball. You know, Tennessee's kind of running away with it. Uh, and then you have, of course, like your Arkansas and your Mississippi States. But I think Auburn's keeping trend enough to where they're going to be able to host a regional, which will be very huge. And I think with SECs coming up um, and a big Alabama series to close out at home in a couple weeks before that SEC uh, conference 
uh, weekend starts in Hoover, I think we're going to see a lot of what this team has to offer. The bats are hot. You got, mm-hmm. you know, Sony, who is, you know, I think he's capitalizing on his NIL, ooh, sorry, my, his NIL stuff with, mm-hmm. you know, big boy t-shirts that he's selling. And I think that <laughs> another testament is a program that can benefit from NIL is baseball because they are limited in scholarships. You know, they don't have the baseball football budget, of course, because it's mm-hmm. not bringing in the money to justify that. But if you have donors and fans that want to donate $100 a month, to land, you know, a couple baseball players, some sponsorships, that's a program, again, that can really capitalize on that. And I think you're going to see that for Auburn as well um, in the upcoming years, too. Yeah, listen, baseball is exciting in the spring because, you know, we're such a football school, but uh, football has the longest offseason of any sport. And basketball and gymnastics and baseball is helping that time between the end of football season, the beginning of football season, feel a lot shorter for a lot of fans. So it's nice yeah. to be able to turn your attention to things that are happening. But hey, listen, we had gymnastics. We had we have got baseball going. And in the middle of all that, Auburn had a day. We had oh, our man. spring <laughs> practice. So tons of things going on at the Plains. Uh, you know, what I want to talk to you a little bit about hope for this next season. So uh, if you're... What a word, hope. Oh, <laughs> what a word, the fact that we're here, you know, it's like that's the baseline of where we're at. It's just having hope. So. Having hope, right? Um, obviously, this is going to be the second year of the Brian Harson era. Lots of things happened this offseason uh, that uh, got a lot of attention. I won't go into those things, but, you know, if you follow Auburn sports, then you know what those things are. And Brian Harson is hosting his second spring practice. Now, the first one was rough because of covid and all the recruiting challenges they had, not being able to have contact, physical contact with a lot of people. Uh, you know, Bo makes the decision to move on to uh, Oregon. And Auburn is, is going to have a new starting quarterback in the fall. So uh, TJ Finley went out with the ones, uh, but I felt like that didn't get a ton of fanfare. A lot of people wanted to see Robbie Ashford. Zach Calzada sat this one out, and then Holden Garner got the last, you know, drive. But you know, give me your take on you know when you you watched Ada today. What's what stood out to you about Robbie Ashford, and what is your feeling? I'm going to ask Allie Davidson for a prediction about who takes the job in the fall based on what we know from this spring. So, what did you think about Robbie Ashford? Yeah, I know this mic is my way because I'm a hand talker, so I feel like I keep I'm keep going going to knock it. And to your point, if you don't if you don't know what happened in the offseason of Auburn football, I am jealous and I'd love to live under the rock that you also are living on. Um, please invite me over. I'll uh, pay rent. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I made the prediction that I, last year, I wanted to see TJ Finley win before the LSU game that Bo had, you know, ran for his literal dang life of mm-hmm. I had expected to see TJ Finley beforehand. Um, I can say that I'm not sure I was right in that. Fair it's enough. Tough to say because, you know, you have Bo Nix go down before the Iron Bowl and then Finley gets hurt in the Iron Bowl and he looked just stiff as a board. I mean, I hate to say it, but he just did. And was that, you know, injury? Was that lack of game time? Was that, you know oh my God, the game's on the line and you have, you're throwing this kid into literally the biggest fire in college football. Um, I don't know. And I don't think anyone really knows. And then everyone 
saw what happened in, you know, the bowl game. And that was just a disaster after disaster after disaster. So I can understand why fans want something new, something that goes beyond, you know, everything that was last season and this off season. So I want to say I'd like to see Ashford get a shot. But then again, with five home games to start the season, Mm. is that time to see what TJ Finley can do, you know, in those first couple games? It's it's a real toss-up, and I think Harson's going to play it very tight to the vest. Obviously, he's not a guy that really lets info leak out uh, of his program regardless. Uh, So I don't think we'll know. I think it's literally going to come down to day one, week one of fall practice before it even comes close to a decision. I don't think, I think that's okay. I think fans expecting a rush is what's gotten Auburn in a lot of trouble in the past by Mm. rushing things and finding the need to name someone and let that pressure start early on them. I think that happened to Bo. I think having that, you know, him come in with so much expectation may have hindered him more than it helped by letting him develop. Uh, and honestly, what I'm taking from this offseason is it is just so dang good to see these this Auburn staff on the road. And it yeah. is so good to see these high schools, you know, recruiting's near and dear to my heart. I still am, you know, quite close to a lot of these high school coaches around the South. And to see these programs tweet, oh, it's so good to see, you know, Christian Robertson at blah, blah, blah high school is just so needed and so refreshing for, I think, what's been a really tough year. For, you know, we like to think, oh, it was really tough on the athletes. It was really tough on the fans. I mean, these st- the staff is human too, right? And yeah. coaches don't like to lose. Coaches don't like to have themselves in the hot seat. That's that's why they're coaches is because they they are competitive. And so I think to them too, to prove a point on recruiting is going to be really crucial. And that's just, it's been, just been really good to see. Um, and I know fans can laugh, say a little too late, you know, but someone's got to start somewhere. And yeah. if you're not going to hop on board now, I don't foresee you wanting to hop on board, you know, two years from now. And I think that's the misunderstanding of recruiting is one recruiting class is going to change the culture. That's just not the case. Correct. I think that's why we saw the Chiswick to Malzon era and quicker or not be as successful is because there wasn't much of a change. You know, we were recruiting the same kind of players that Chiswick was recruiting because Malzahn was Chizik's offensive coordinator. So there really wasn't much of a change of a culture shift between the two. And I think this is a massively different culture shift from a Malzahn to a Harspin. And it's not, it's going to take time. Um, now, how much time that's up to the staff and how will they recruit, but it's not going to be a, we're landing six, five stars. And all of a sudden Auburn's competing for an, uh, you know, a playoff spot. It's just unreasonable and not going to happen. And I think that's the blue and orange of fans kind of taking over. Yeah, you know, I I really believe that growing a program, developing a program, it's like really good barbecue. Like you just can't <laughs> rush really good barbecue. If you try yeah. to cook it too fast, you're gonna you're gonna burn the out, the outside. It'll cook, look cooked, and when you yeah. bite into it, you're gonna find out it's still raw. And yeah. uh, I think that's what happened to us in 2013. Really good season. <laughs> that meat looked cooked on the outside. And then in the following years, we found out how raw the meat still was on the inside yeah. and never really recovered from that. So uh, going into this, this off season, there was a lot of pessimism about what we saw. And Allie, 
I, I saw last season so differently from a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, cult, you, you mentioned culture. The last time we tried to make a culture shift and, and change systems, we went three and nine. Yeah. <laughs> because it's hard. And a lot of coaches, you know, Nick Saban, uh, seven and six in his first year and a, a loss to UL Monroe. Trying to make a culture shift is difficult. Uh, Harson's right-hand man, Brad Lerondo, told us about 40% of the guys that they had on the team w- was bought into what they were trying to do. Yeah, I would say 40% is even high, maybe generous. Yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, 40, if half more, close to half that team was bought in, I would be shocked. Shocked. We saw it towards the end. And I think when the going gets tough, that's when you see who's bought in. And when the going went tough is when the teams collapsed, Mm -hmm. right? By able to handle a lead on the road at South Carolina to, you know, handle a lead against Mississippi State. That's when... When you're up that much, that's when things get hard. And that's when you can't take your foot off the gas. And you saw players take their foot off the gas. And, and Bama. things collapsed. Same you thing. Know? Late, yeah. late in that game, I mean, I know we were never massively ahead. But yeah. essentially, Bama was never going to lie down and die in that game. Exactly. And the culture, the culture showed up at the end of a lot of these games. In year two, I expect it to be uh, massively better. We talked about how the quarterback position can affect that change. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, fan expectations going into the fall. And uh, I want to hear Allie's message to the fans about what's coming this season. So you've you've got three groups of people. There are the people who think we're going to be worse. This is a five-win football team. Literally, that's what they're typing. You got the people who are expecting a little of the same. And then you've got a small group of people, which I just happen to be in this group, that feel like marginal improvement is possible. And by marginal, I mean eight wins. I think with most of your team bought in, and why I say I saw last season differently, is a lot of people saw six and seven. What I saw was I saw a team that was in every single game they played. Outside of Georgia and going into the third quarter, we were in that game. Nobody ran us off the field. Nobody. So Penn State, one score game. You know, uh, we, we almost lose Georgia State. We finally get a win at LSU. You beat a ranked Arkansas and a top 10 Ole Miss. You lose Mississippi State. You lose South Carolina. You lose the top-ranked battle. Yeah, I'm having PTSD running yeah. through this. Oh, my God. But all yeah. those games were close. 100%. Yeah. Texas, Texas A&M, Allie, 20-3. We didn't give up an offensive touchdown in that game. The only touchdown we gave up, our quarterback gave them because he fumbled the ball yep. against air. So defensively, there were a lot of really good things about that season. Offensively, we the, it was just – it was about the – the lows being too low. Yep. You know, you got LSU, and but then you got Georgia State, right? Yep. You have Ole Miss, but then you have Texas A&M. Yep. And uh, it was rough watching how low the lows were. So if you're a fan, give us, give us reasons for optimism. I, I just feel like I see that we were in every game, and with marginal improvement, six wins turns into eight. Yeah. Some people think it's going to be five. Yeah. Tell us why it's not going to be five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh gosh, if it's five, then there's something so broken. Horse inspired. On this, yeah, it, uh, there is something so wrong with this football program as a whole. 
and I don't joke when I say this, burn it all to the ground and let's just like restart from the I'll, ground up with this. I'll get the torch building. with you. <laughs> like it's just, I, it would be such a disappointment and I think would just prove, prove too many people right where I don't see it happening. I think a lot of people are rooting for a five, you know, win team because That's they're sad, jaded. Isn't it? It's sad and because it's jaded and because they expect more. And I think there it's too many people are in that camp for it to happen because that's just not the way Auburn works. When people want it to happen, it doesn't. When people don't want it to happen, it does. So I would say I'm, I was cautiously optimistic last year. I tend to try to look at Auburn athletics with hope. Um, That doesn't mean I'm not jaded. That doesn't mean I'm not realistic. Uh, I thought last year's wide receiver squad was the worst in the country. I I hate to say that, but it quite literally was such a bad squad that it was painful. And Mm -hmm. if I was the quarterback, I would air that ball out and just cross my fingers and say, it's a 50-50 shot. And you cannot afford a 50-50 shot every time you throw that ball in hopes that your wide receivers are going to catch it. Um, And that's a sad feeling, right? I don't think I've had a position at Auburn outside of maybe offensive offensive line in the last decade where I was like, wow. This is just crucial. And I don't foresee them happening that bad of a season again. So if they improve, if they catch, you know, 50% more of the balls they dropped, Auburn may not lose Mississippi State. Auburn may win the Iron Bowl. And so those are two losses that put them, you know, at eight and six instead of six and seven. You know what I mean? So there's so many, there's so much room that if the positions play to capability, I'm not saying playing stellar. I'm not saying, you know, you have to have a Heisman candidate on each side of the field, but to play to their capabilities and what they're expected, I think eight wins is possible. I think the schedule sets up for it with five at home Yeah. to start off. I think, you know, you have LSU. God knows what Brian Kelly's doing over there. It doesn't sound like things are, you know, all that good. Uh, so I, I don't have a rough year. Yeah, I don't expect them to see, you know, to bounce back from last year to be in the playoffs. So I think that's a win that you can have later on outside of the five home games. Um, you know, and the Iron Bull and Georgias are swing and misses. Who knows how those battle out in the end? You know, you have your Mississippi States that who's going to show up <laughs> this year? You never know. So I think there's possibility to get to eight if you can go through the first five as Four expected. Months. Four and one. Yep. Worst, right? Yeah. I yeah think if you, you can't get afford one, to go three and two out of this opening five. I think if you go three and two, you are setting yourself up for a very rough second half. And I just don't believe these players want another, you know, embarrassing season that gets mm-hmm. their, you know, hands pointed at them. I don't think this coaching staff, I don't think these new coaches that have been brought in are expecting to want to be embarrassed as well. I think that's what a lot of fans miss is as embarrassing it is for you to go into work the next morning and get laughed at because you're an Auburn fan. Imagine, you know, these athletes that are out there mm-hmm. that have to rep every Saturday and they don't, you know, they can quit, but what does that do? So they have to suit up and play every Saturday and hope for the best and same with the coaching staff. So as embarrassing as it is for us, I expect the staff and players to have a chip on their shoulder that, allows them to, you know, get to that eight-game win. Do you remember um, one year in basketball, Bruce Pearl had the four and 20, 
six yeah. t-shirts or whatever. I, yeah. I forgot what the record was yeah. or whatever the prediction was. It was ridiculously low that yeah. year. And they went out and they blew expectations out that year Yeah, um, based on where they were expected to finish. I, do, I think you're right. I think that plot pride will play a factor in this. Uh, again, the buy-in from the players and what the coach is trying to do, uh, having people on the same page, fighting together. We've talked to a lot of the players. They are, they're, they're telling us, you know, it's a completely different vibe in that locker room this year. And a lot of the guys who weren't bought in hit the portal and those that weren't bought in and stayed are now bought in. So I do expect to see it with a little bit of quarterback play. My feeling about the wide receivers, you mentioned them was, uh, you know, it was kind of a wide receiver play wasn't good last year, but it was definitely a two-way street because quarterbacks yeah. weren't very accurate. And we've talked to, to receivers who have told us it's very hard when you never know where the ball's going to be. Yeah. Especially on like timing routes and things of that nature. So those are the the technicals are what I hope they're getting right this offseason yeah. uh, so that you can go out and play fast because you practice right. Yeah. And and that practice right shows up in games and Auburn just looks like uh, they're going to be some, it's Auburn, it's the SEC West, so they're going to be some tough losses. Certainly, yeah. I don't think anybody expects an undefeated season. Uh, I put $200 on us to do it just in case. Just, oh my. <laughs> just in case if we, we pull the undefeated, in. I'll get a big old Auburn tat on my behind because <laughs> I will just be, I will, you know, I won't sit for months if this team ends up going undefeated. Um, Al- okay, listen, all, all, <laughs> a War Report family, you heard it. Allie Davidson with the Auburn booty tat. Always, yeah. Oh, write it down. I will 100% get it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think I can only preach it so much, but you have to play to your capabilities mm-hmm. and expect your teammates to do the same. And I think that's why the football team collapsed, is I don't think players trusted. You know, the wide receivers didn't trust the quarterback, and the quarterback didn't trust the wide receivers. And when that starts to break, mm-hmm the whole system starts to collapse. And I think, you know, the defense was majority of the time in it for a lot of the games last year where the offense, you know, would give up a stupid fumble or have a crazy three and out after the defense just, you know, was on the field and held them to a field goal and that you lose trust in your defense and the offense. And when that starts to break, what are you supposed to do in practice when no one wants to, you know hype the other one up or practice is hard because they just know what's going to be on Saturday is what it's always been. And I think that's what you have to see in this Auburn team to expect a decent season. I think it's capable. I think to your point, I I would be hard pressed to find a player that is in that locker room that understands what happened last year and understands that buyout wasn't in and understands that, you know, that happens with a new coach. There's going to be some guys that don't like the new coach. It happens in every sport, you know, and players may have gotten away with some stuff that they may not have under the new coach, or, you know, they may have automatically started because, you know, they were a senior and that may not have been the case under Harson. You know, he wasn't going to come in and have biasy towards anybody that had played under Gus. It was nice. an even playing field and that can push a lot of buttons for the best or for the worst. Mm. Um, so, so, you feel I, like, so you feel like there maybe wasn't a, an even playing field before? Yeah, I would say 
towards the end of what we saw, I think it became easy to play the guys that were playing every Saturday. I okay. don't think we saw a lot of um, opportunities for guys that may, you know, needed to get a shot mm-hmm. other than a guy who's just been in the game so long again, under Malzahn. And I think, I think anyone would agree with that, you know, towards the end, it's easy. It's easy to play on guys that you can count on. Right. And right. guys you can count on may that you recruited or that have been under you for three years, let alone a guy, you know, a, a freshman that came in that, you know, may not be a, you know, a fan favorite. And I think that was a big thing that Auburn struggled with for a long time was playing the fan favorites. And I don't think Carson really cares. <laughs> and I think that also no. pisses off a lot of Auburn fans um, and pisses off a lot of players too, which I completely understand. Good. You should yeah. want to compete. Uh, exactly. Robbie Ashford told us that in his interview. He said, yeah. listen, man, I'm, I'm a competitor. If you want to play here, you should want to yeah. compete. I expect to compete. I can tell you Nick Saban doesn't give two rats behinds. You know, I the whole issue of, oh, you know, person didn't ask how I did in school today or all those rumors. Nick Saban ain't walking into that locker room asking you how you did on your philosophy test. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. give two rats behinds about that. He cares about what you're doing as a person and what you're doing on that field for him. And that's about all he cares about. And that's, that's a business. This is Alabama football has turned into a business. Georgia football is turning into a business. You know, as much as we love that it's, Oh, you know, these are student athletes. Now that they're getting paid the big bucks, these coaches are going to expect players that are there to compete, to make money and to win games. Right. But because they're not paying them, the money that you're making cannot be a distraction from what the expectation is on the field. Exactly. You know, um, athletes have a ton of uh, responsibilities already. So pre-NIL, class, practice, study hall, I mean, their schedules are jam-packed. Now you have sponsor obligations Mm -hmm. that you have to slide into that schedule, and it's not easy. Uh, You know, again, we interview athletes all the time, and trying to find a slot to have a 30-minute discussion is really, really difficult for a lot of them. So, you know, now they're in a place where uh, expectations are going to they're going to be raised. I think that this coach, like you said, is not here to be your best friend or your dad or your yeah. you know your 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 uncle away from home or any of that stuff. Yeah. He is your coach, and some of the players have said that we needed a coach. Yeah. We needed a coach, not a best friend, and a lot of guys had issue with that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that produces in you know after a full calendar year yeah. of, of guys under that system. All the quarterbacks we have left now, Allie, are guys that he brought in. Yeah, and you know having your guys that believe in your way, I, I think may produce a little better result. But I can't get on the we're going to be a five-win team train. I just can't yeah. do it. I just, I don't think I have it in me. I just don't think I'm, you know, as jaded as I am, I just don't think I'm that jaded. Uh, I have I can car- compartmentalize basketball and football as two different sports. The expectations I have for football are not what I have for f- basketball. I don't expect Harson to be Bruce Pearl. I think that's what's getting in a lot of Auburn fans' heads, and I think you see it a lot in Twitter. Well, you know, Bruce Pearl is so charismatic and he's just bought and that works for basketball and that is who he is. But to say that Nick Saban and Bruce Pearl are the same type of coach is 
incredibly naive. You don't see Nick Saban out there, you know, tweeting out, boom. He doesn't even know what Twitter is and could care less, right? Right? You you don't see Kirby Smart doing it either. He learned from the best, you know. I think you see Dabo may have gotten a little too ahead of himself, and you see Clemson kind of going down because I don't think a basketball coach mentality is the same as football. I think they're very two different sports, two different coaching styles, and I think Auburn fans need to be able to split it and be able to say, I'm so happy for this basketball team, for what we have there. I'd love to see success in football in a different way. And I think that's okay. I don't I don't see the issue with having both. One coach has to manage like 13 guys, and the other one has to manage like 100. Yeah. So you're right. He can be more hands-on. He can be more engaged and involved, whereas you have to really, as a football coach, lean on the people around you for that engagement um, you know, to uh, you know, f- to report back to let you know where you need to pay special attention to areas of the program. It is a difficult job. He's getting paid five million dollars to do it. Uh, so my heart's not exactly breaking for him, but Absolutely I do think not. we have to give him time. Yeah. To to get this together, and it may it may look a little better, or it may still feel rough in year two. I think ultimately he should be judged by what happens in year three. Uh, and. And then go from there. So, but listen, I've got hope. You've got hope. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you have hope. I want to thank Allie Davison for joining me, as always, on the War Report podcast. Guys, we'll be back next week to talk more Auburn sports. But until then, War Eagle. War Eagle, guys. You are now now listening listening to to 